Happy 2023. What's up, man? Not not too much. You have a good New Year? Um, I didn't do jack this year for New Year's, which was awesome. That's that's the way to go. In bed by nine o'clock. I know. Is that, I think this is just like the top, ages thirty five to fifty five or whatever. <laughs> yep. I was gonna say I'm welcome the, welcome there. to your mid thirties. Yeah. <laughs> I think it might be late thirties at this point. Um, a few months away from 36 but no i had been i felt like i hadn't had more than a few days in new york for like the last month and a half and i had lots of visitors and traveling so it was nice to just uh watch some football which was there was amazing football all weekend and uh just crash at like 10 30 it was wonderful nice <laughs> uh how about you uh it was good yeah just um you know very low-key in bed by nine o'clock there you go all right. Well, this is officially the most boring intro to any podcast ever. <laughs> um, what are we going to talk about today, man? Uh, we got a few things, but one of the items was uh, you had updated your blog, your website, and um, I don't know. I think you had a story there. So, oh, the debugging thing. Cool. All right, let's talk about that. Um, not the debugging thing, but the the node modules thing, and then maybe we can talk about the work you're doing with Build UI homepage i kind of interested in some of the tech there i mean it's kind of a work in progress so maybe we can wait if you want but no i'm, I'm kind of I'm interested good. in the tooling just, and stuff yeah it's like the second time i've done this so it's um i'm good and we can also talk about the subscriptions because there's like trade-offs and everything there so it's just okay an interesting cool. conversation we gotta do it live man we gotta do it live it's already 15 minutes into the hour whose um, fault is that buddy <laughs> my back all right so uh Let's kick it off with just a little uh, tip about um, trying to install node modules on a stale project. I basically went to add some stuff to my personal website, uh, which is a Next app, but it's a Next app. From, it's probably like two years old now at this point. And I wasn't able to install the dependencies. Actually, locally, I think I still had them installed from the previous time. So NPM install would work. By the way, when that happens, I put up like caution tape around my node modules and I'm like, nobody touch these. How do you do that? <laughs> you know, just, just, uh, it's, it's, a, it's a metaphor. <laughs> you use like labels and finder. No, I'm just like, <laughs> do not RM node yeah. modules. Like these are sacred. Like they cannot go away. Yeah. But I don't, I don't, I'm not down with that. That's not, I, I am, I have such a bad memory that for my projects, I need, things to be able to start from scratch uh, oh every time absolutely do the the whole point of a lock file is you should be able to regenerate your project at right at any point but at any time i think well I, i'm interested to hear what you ran into yeah so there's something <clears throat> i still don't fully understand um why that would change because two years ago is not that long i understand like earlier in the npm days why things couldn't be deterministic but this project it's not that old it has a lock file it should be able to install deterministically. So I'm not really sure what the root cause is, but basically what happened is I went to make some changes. I pushed a PR, GitHub went to deploy my project. It was actually on Vercel that the integration was deploying it using like the default thing. So I don't even have GitHub actions in there. So I couldn't even, I didn't have really insight into like what the actual commands were until I found out that it was on Vercel and it was using the starter, the default, uh, commands for installing and building that you know because it auto detected the next app and it wasn't able to basically build so the build failed and it wasn't able to npm install because there was unmet peer dependencies 
Uh, it ended up, I think it ended up being a node issue. So basically node version changed and the way either NPM or node resolves peer dependencies changed Ooh. across these versions. Actually, I remember <laughs> I should have done more research before this episode. Maybe we'll follow up, but I can just walk through like the story from the debugging perspective, which is it was working on my machine and I could run NPM install. Of course, once you have the node modules installed locally, you can run NPM install and um it like works mm -hmm. which is another thing maybe we can talk about because if your local nod node modules aren't aligned with your pack package.lock package lock file then how does it like successfully get past that basically i wasn't able to install on ci eventually i tried different node versions i had like an engines uh, key in my packets json i had like a dot node version which i use locally but it's not respected on vercel vercel has a node drop down um, that they use and they even warn you in the build like that you have this file or that file it's not being respected if you want like a major version update to use that long story short it was an update to node that had happened without me expressly opting into that version of node and that uh, changed the algorithm that npm uses to install the mod module graph in terms of how it specifically in terms of how it resolves peer dependencies so i had like some old dependencies like reach dialog that required react version you know 17 whatever and i was on 17 whatever or i was i don't even know if i had gone to 18 yet and so it couldn't resolve the graph there's an option to install with legacy peer dependencies sounds like what i need because this is a legacy project apparently even though it's like a year and a half old and um, I started doing that on my machine. So I, once I realized what was happening, I uninstalled node modules locally because I wanted to debug the issue locally yep. before trying to debug it, you know, on the CI, on, on Vercel. And so I um, removed node modules. I saw the warning, uh, the error, basically it stops it. Once I matched the node version that was on Vercel, and um there's two ways you can do it you can use dash legacy peer depths or you can use dash force and um i think they both worked for me and then i went through the process of trying to do it on vercel um by like overriding the install script and all sorts of things and uh it got through the install i'm almost done with this right now i'm like this is no it's good this i like this um it got through the install script, but then it had like the craziest error ever. And it turned out to be something with, what was it? It was uh, an error with um, <clears throat> some like C binary, something terrifying, <laughs> you know, <laughs> something that Sam reads the first like line of and just runs away from and says, you know, I need a coffee and a break. Um, but it was like, weird memory psych fault stuff and i didn't know it was not anything i was seeing on my machine and i couldn't really reproduce on my machine ultimately i uh had a carrot in my node version i'm actually going to pull it up but i had a carrot in my node version and um that's what was causing the drift and that was enough to really you know screw things up and so once i just went to my engines key and package json took away the little arrow in front of the version number and pushed again it all worked i know if you do like the the number of dots you have 
affects a caret. So if you say like caret 16.0.0, that's different from mm -hmm. caret 16.0. So what, mm -hmm. what was your exact version? It was, so it was greater than or equal to 12.16.0. That was making it use like 16. So this must have been here yeah. from a default. Yep. Because um, I wouldn't have put this in or. I don't yeah, think you would. I, I'm no. just guessing. Yeah, I'm just guessing it was, a, it was a default. So greater than or equal to means it's whatever going to go past majors. Yeah. Yeah. In front of the first one. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah, that's what I use for like the my React dependencies in open source because I, every time they release a new React version, I don't want to have to go add like or or caret eighteen. Right. So I just you say want that greater than we have an old greater than sixteen point right. two or whatever. Whenever hooks right, right, right. We had an old episode on this where we talked about like lenient uh, yep. libraries and conservative uh, applications or whatever. Yeah, exactly. But. I saw this and I realized that Vercel was using a different major version of Node, but I still didn't think that that was an issue because I was running on my computer, which was running 16.14. Um, and so they were telling me they were using 16 or whatever, you know, on, on, on Vercel. Um, and so it was still extremely confusing. And um, the error, again, it's not something I could reproduce. So... I was very skeptical when I actually went to change this from greater than or equal to 12.16.0 to just 16.14.2, like no errors or anything that it was going to work. And it just worked. And this was after like doing the, you know, NPM install, like overriding the command with dash dash force. Yep. Trying that, trying dash dash legacy peer depths, and then uh, doing this. And I think I was able to get rid of those and go back to the default install, um, install thing, because I think... This is the other part. I think once I removed node modules and reinstalled, like it updated package lock with some resolved versions of things so that that would be used on CI. So you know what? It actually would be nice to kind of go through this again and just get the steps. But um, there are a bunch of resolved packages in package lock. So I'm expecting... That's part of the solution as well. Mm -hmm. cool. But I did have to change the, the node module, the node version as well. So I would think intuitively that it's either one or the other. Well, it's interesting because it does go back to what we said where, where you want to be strict with your dependencies and applications. So you don't want to rely on such a wide range. So it's kind of, you did yes. end up there. So it seems yes. good. And now it's, yes, exactly. Yep, exactly right. So um, if you're ever having those issues... <laughs> I've learned this lesson before. I was trying to find this. I couldn't find it on Twitter. I either did it on Twitter or in Discord somewhere or in Slack. I had this exact issue where I had like old reach uh, libraries in the app and it was um, probably like fitness app or something. It wasn't building on Vercel and it all came back to node version change. So now I've got to remember that as a cue um, because that legacy depths ch behavior changed. I actually think... It changed in like a minor version of NPM or something like that. I remember, I remember tweeting about this, um, but uh, that was brutal. So I think sometimes I think the kind of takeaway advice from this is if you do have an issue with like legacy with not being able to make meet peer dependencies on an old project you're trying to run NPM install in, start with your node version. Make sure you know what node version your computer is using. Is it is the source of truth like dot node version or is it the engines key and package json that's another thing we've run into like you want there to be one 
And um, then is your CI setup using this? Um, is it relying on the same piece of information for what node version that you're using? So didn't we do something where like, I think we had like a CI fail. If, that was the other thi they, these, oh. these things were different. I think we did that like on an Ember oh. open source project where yeah. it, it would detect that like you have a NVMRC and a dot node version and an engines thing. And if there was a drift, I think there was an Ember project we did this on anyway. Yeah, it sounds familiar. Um, I just pulled up this tweet from September of last year. So, you know, three months ago. NPM had a breaking change to NPM CI in a minor release, which broke my builds. Um, I didn't even realize the Cypress action brought its own node. The fix was to add setup node with node version files. So CI behaves exactly the same as dev. So this was another thing is that you've got NPM install, NPM install dash dash force, NPM install dash dash legacy peer depths, and then you have NPM CI. And uh, NPM CI is another command. And um, that... I think the, that forces like the lock file, right? It won't like if you're, if you're, it's node meant version. to be used in automated environments such as test platforms, continuous integration deployment. Main difference is the project must have a lock file. If dependencies in the package lock do not match those in JSON, it'll exit with an error instead of updating package lock. Cool. So maybe that's, I wonder if that should be the default. Like, uh, it's not the default for if you create a new next app, push it to GitHub and connect the Vercel integration. I'm pretty sure that at least when I did this again on my project a couple of years ago, but I'm pretty sure it's still today. The default install command used on Vercel is npm install. And you're saying it should be, yeah. Maybe based on that, based on that, it sounds like it maybe should be, um, you know, it sounds like it should be maybe npm CI, right? Yeah, I guess. I, I don't know if there's like, I guess the lock file is. It says npm install. It's right point. there. Okay. Yeah, I know, but the lock file, I don't know if it behaves the same. npm install and. No, I'm saying that there might be some projects out there without lock files. Like mm. the lock file, it's fairly common at this point, but it wasn't always there. Are you saying npm ci was meant to solve a problem that the lock file also solves? I think npm ci solves a problem that's that's only uh, solvable because of the lock file. Oh, got you. Because so it's newer. You're saying, yeah, yeah. Because if you if you if you run npm install, npm install is going to look at like the carrots in your package lock and in your or right. the the ranges in your sorry, right the ranges in your package JSON because you have the right. lock file. But with a right. lock file, it can say, I know I need to install exactly this version, even though the range is wider in the package JSON. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So anyway. I'm going to ask about this because I'm curious I, and I wonder if this had been npm ci for my project if it would have worked because yeah it would have just used um, the package lock file Though I'm still I guess a, a second follow-up question I have from this conversation is if now we're adding like resolved versions of things to the package lock like I'm looking at my PR and it has new lines in, in package lock Mm -hmm. what information was not there when I ran npm install the last time and got it working? Like the whole point of the lock file is to be able to recreate the environment I have. But I was basically in a spot like you described where if you, you can't get rid of the node modules because you can't recreate them, you're in a weird state. But isn't that the point of the lock file? It's supposed to be able to recreate the, the set of node modules you have. Yeah. So I don't know if there was like, there was like 
it wasn't perfect information. It wasn't a complete, uh, you know, um, well, that's, tree wait, version wait. of the tree in the old one. And so it left some versions to move such that if you reinstalled, you could get the updates no, I think you're without thi- changing the package lock file. I think you're thinking of the difference between NPM install and NPM CI. So if you don't have node modules, you, you don't have a node modules folder. You just have a brand new computer mm-hmm. and you run NPM CI. You're just going to install from the lock file. Sorry, you're just, you're just, yes, that's correct. You're just going to install from the lock sure. file, right? If you have a brand new computer, you don't have mod- node modules and you run NPM install, I think if there's a newer version of something that matches a range in your package JSON, you will install that newer version and update the lock file mm-hmm. so that when, cause you're like right. in like developer right. mode, so you can right. like take advantage of yeah. this new thing. So I think that's the difference between the two. Okay. So does that mean the lock file is completely ignored? I might just be getting confused myself with this, with what happened, but when you run npm install, the lock file is ignored. No, like I, we should. Pull, I don't. Um, I don't know. Yeah, we should pull up, pull up docs for this because I don't. I don't want to say anything. I'm not sure of. Yeah, I don't think that's. Tr- yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll have to read more about it. I think this would be good to follow up on and read about and ask about because I don't know. It's confusing. We've talked about this stuff before. It is confusing, but. Um, Yeah, it was it was a bummer. <laughs> it <laughs> took a while. I was making a demos page for some frame of motion demos and I threw it together in no time. And then I spent like an hour and a half trying to figure this out. So <laughs> anyways, um, all that to say, I think that, uh, the, yeah, the takeaway here is make sure your node, if you have these kinds of issues, node is the first culprit usually and usually the last, <laughs> the node version that is. Cool. Um, let's talk about uh, let's talk about you and what you've been working on, man. Yeah, I got I got two things. I think the first, the more kind of interesting or more like polarizing uh, subject is uh, Postgres functions and not having a backend. So, so this is interesting. I don't know if we talked about this in a previous episode, but I'll go like kind of set this up as quickly as possible. Uh, we use Hasura, and Hasura basically reads data out of a Postgres database and turns it into a GraphQL API, uh, which is really nice when all your data fits in a, a Postgres database. Like you have a user's table, they have first name, last name, email, that's that's all in your database. Uh, but it gets a little tricky when you have sort of like derived data. So um, what's a good example of like derived data on like a user model? I mean, you like can fold- just use the, uh, the Stripe and subscription example the subscription example yeah okay so we have like stripe subscriptions and if they're active or not there's no like boolean is active uh they depend on a whole bunch of things you know when they were last paid what their status and stripe is what plan they're on um and so deriving that data when your back end is just kind of a reads data of a Postgres database and turns into a GraphQL resp- request response is uh, it's kind of tricky. And this is like the thing where, you know, any other, in all my past experience, I would just be like, okay, we have like a, a backend layer like Node or Rails, and we're just gonna write up some, you know, they, they all, every web framework has like an API where you can read data out of a database, transform it into a JSON response and add all your derived data in there. 
But yeah, um, so in Rails, like an active record, this would be like a what do they call it? Just some method on response. A, just you, or even if it was on the on the model. On the model. Yeah, yep, yeah, yep, that's true. And it would yep. be a method, right? Yep. And a method. a method can operate on the data, but that's an layer of abstraction that you can write code and test against for the rest of the application. Right, right. And that's actually that's actually a really good point because like the user of the model doesn't know from like an API point of view, is this data in the database or is this data that's like computationally run when I request it? And they don't need to know, right. they don't care. They just Uniform say, access principle exactly. is that the, the data that's raw from the database and the derived stuff is the same. Is the same, yep. Okay, but with with like these services that act as like your backend, you lose that. You don't, you don't have a place where you can like upload code. Um, right. You don't have, you just don't have like a backend to deploy. Uh, right. So this was <laughs> kind of interesting. Like um, the Hasura answer for this is you can write uh, func Postgres functions that will basically at read time transform data like a backend would out of your Postgres database and include it in the uh, in the GraphQL response. So, uh, you know, I said earlier, it's like kind of like polarizing because I think some people are just like and probably myself, too, in this camp, just like. Right. Oh my God! You're using a Postgres function. What the hell like, are you doing? Like, what's wrong with Rails and Node JavaScript? And, yeah, <laughs> like all these, all these like backend frameworks. They've done a great job. Like the the thing that's holding them back is not um, their ability to derive data, <laughs> to, right? Right. Right. So, right. To author functions. Yeah. Right. 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 So, um, yeah, it just I got that all set up, and uh, it's cool. I mean, it is cool that like we still don't have a backend. I guess we have like a backend in the form of like, just like Postgres functions that are randomly floating in right. files. But right. um, it is nice that like there was an answer to this problem from like a dummy system that, you know, just takes data of a Postgres database and turns it into to a GraphQL response. Uh, it's a little gnarly. I, I uh, yeah, you had some like pros and cons. You you wrote about this on Twitter, and you had some like nice summary of the pros and cons. Yeah, yeah, we can we can link that. I think the the biggest pro is like you know we still get to use Hasura. There's still there's no deployment. There's no like we're just Hasura is our backend, and it's nice that we could see that like Hasura could expand out to be more than just a database reader. Right. Uh, the cons are it's like this lives in Postgres. I mean, seriously, like if you want to run this locally on your computer, you got to set up a server instance, get this function in. Uh, it's hard to test. Like, you know, Rails Rails is easy to test because Rails makes testing first class. You, right. can, you can spin up your Rails app and run your model, fill your models with fake data and test their right. outputs. Uh, I don't know how to do that with Postgres. Like other than other than like Doing writing a bunch of scripts that set up containers right. and do this stuff. And... Um, the other thing this doesn't affect the testing story in a sense of like if you already were going to get Hasur running locally and seeded with data to run tests. This is not any different than that, right? It, I mean, it, in the it, same it way, actually, if you were is. doing like a local first changes and making changes and then pushing migrations up. Well, I mean, it, if you if we were already in that workflow, this wouldn't be different, would it? I think it would because it, Rails. I'm just going to compare this to Rails, but Rails, like again, testing is first class, so they give you like. They just make it really easy to write tests. You just create a folder called tests and you drop a file in there. And they, there's plugins that will like generate fake data and all this stuff for you. Where with these Postgres functions, there's nothing. There's nothing along those lines. Yeah, no, I'm saying like if we already had a world where we have kept Hasura like 
just on the cloud so that we don't have to deal with just anything local and running mm-hmm. migrations because it's just nice and it's just us doing it simple enough that we don't have to. If we got to a point where we were running it locally and doing the the local first migration workflow, I, again, like it's just it's more of a tooling thing. Like in Rails, I save a model and all my tests run, and then I'm just going to get green, red, green, red. I, I, how do I do that with Postgres? Right, I would have to save the function, re-upload it run some tests. so it's not okay so pushing it to like production you're saying might be different than like pushing the rest of the migrations or the changes or whatever yeah i think ultimately this sort of stuff would live in a a hasura migration but right it's just again like it's when you're kind of stepping out of the lines you're saying when you're when you're in a postgres function it's like it's cool you're right next to data you can transform it but you you lose all the tooling all the right i mean it's just it's you know Rails is awesome. You save a file, you get instant feedback. Yeah. That, mm-hmm. You know, you broke a test. So, um, yeah. yeah, it's just, it's that sort of stuff that, gotcha. that you lose. I think like another thing is like, there's no like the debugger for Postgres, like the, I'm making air quotes here, the debugger is like running the query, right? So you run the query and you like view the output in yeah. your, uh, your, um, whatever PHP my admin yeah your postgres <laughs> client you don't like with javascript you can actually drop a debugger statement in your function so you can look at not just the return value but you can look at all the intermediate values that you're when you're building up like the derived value so mm-hmm. you can say like oh i made a mistake in like step three where postgres when you run this function like is active subscription you don't get all the intermediate steps you just get true Mm -hmm. or false so -hmm. you don't know like which step did i like miscalculate the type of subscription it was did i miscalculate the number of days i should be looking at and so you basically have to write like (laughs) four different queries that are each of the steps make sure their outputs are right and then kind of roll them up into a single function so it's very, it's hard, like the debugging story is a lot harder. And I think this is like, I'm just sort of unpacking like why people don't like to put business logic sure, inside the in database. Their database. Or, um, <laughs> yeah. yeah. So that's, that's the, uh, I guess that's like the negative on the positive. Like I'm, I'm super happy with it. It's, it's yeah. uh, one of those things where it was a one-time setup. It's not business right. logic that changes every, um, every few weeks. And right. also too, it's not business logic that other programmers are going to work on it. This is like, right. I own this. You're not going to be in there. You're not going to need to edit it. You're never going to say yeah. like, Hey, I really wish I could understand this. or I really wish I, I could change this. Um, right. and I think when I was doing this, like that was one thing that stood out. I think if it's like, when we think of business logic, we think of logic that's regularly changing and regularly worked on by other developers. And so I would be like really, really scared to put that in the database yeah. But for something like this. I think it's yeah. totally fine. I'm also like kind of happy we did this just because we've been Hasur- using Hasura for the last year. And yeah. this is like, it has to be able to derive data if we're going to, yeah. we're going to continue to use it. So it's nice to know it's doable. Um, that's cool. Yeah. So that's cool. I, I definitely like the uniform access for sure. Um, yeah. Is active could be a, a field in your GraphQL query and you could change it from being a Boolean to being derived if the logic got more sophisticated like ours did and yep. the rest of the apps the clients wouldn't need to know about it yeah so that's pretty cool yep 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 and no 
no building a GraphQL server, no deploying GraphQL server. Ye- right, right. I think you lose. This no is resolvers. A, this is another, no, another, you know. another polarizing opinion here, but I think you lose a lot when you're writing both the GraphQL client and the GraphQL server. I think you want to be on one end of those and not doing both. So. Yeah. Which is what we're doing by using Hasura, you're saying. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, you're saying the, you're a fan of GraphQL, but for a small team, like it doesn't really make sense to bring in that layer if you're in, having to implement the resolver. Yeah, I'm gonna, as, I'm gonna go further. I don't think anyone should be doing both ends. Right. I think you're right. when you're just writing the resolvers, it's awesome, and when you're just writing right. the uh, the queries, it's awesome. But when right. you do both, it's just. I, I know some There's people no. like it, but I, I just, yeah, yeah, a lot of lot of ceremony, right. I'm anyway. happy to report I've basically never written a GraphQL resolver. <laughs> nice. That's what I like to hear. <laughs> <laughs> um, cool. So speaking of GraphQL, um, the subscription stuff you were doing on, Gra- on Build Drive was, was one piece of your work, your recent work, but the other is uh, the CMS stuff, yeah? Yeah, yeah. So we talked about this last episode or two episodes ago about getting our content in a CMS so that the whole the whole plan here was that uh, development, staging, and production could all read the same content, so there weren't just like mismatches of data or just like random data in each environment. We want to see the same set of videos for every single environment, and right, so the same content library, same it's, content library, it's invariant with the deployment environment, exactly. And so, uh, yeah, we chose High Graph as basically our our CMS management. It's a um, web app that does like, you know, CMS type modeling. And then uh, to consume it, they expose a GraphQL API. And uh, what I did is I piped that GraphQL API through Hasura. Hasura offers like the stitching thing where they basically take all your APIs, you put them in Hasura, and then you have one sort of, one sort of Hasura endpoint to query. And it's, wow, that's cool. I, I actually didn't know that's... I guess I figured that's what you did. H- had you done stitching before? I had, but not on like this scale. A stitching I've done... Yeah. is I, Actually, I stitched uh, the Firebase API through Hasura. Ah, but that was right. like still... That was probably only like five or six resolvers where this mm-hmm. this thing is... It's High Graph's entire graphql api data model yeah for yeah for our content so there is a ton of stuff in there i don't know everything in there but right um right yeah i can just discover it as as i need to that's Um, cool yeah and so anyway the reason that i stitch this all through hasura is that then i uh, generate types using graphql code gen from hasura and so now every graphql Mm -hmm. query whether it's a cms query or Mm a um you're trying to pull subscription data like this is active thing I just talked about. That's all typed. And that's um, awesome. I mean, the subscription, the CMS from the perspective of uh, build UI's front end, does it even know that there's a CMS? No, that's the really cool thing. Yeah. You yeah. can, you can, in the same GraphQL statement, find your subscription status and uh, your videos, your and videos, like the latest yeah. videos. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. So that's, what, that's how it should be. That's fantastic. Yeah. And then like Hasura, I mean, this is like, dude. I, I love Hasura, um, but it really is awesome. You can now have relationships across these different stitched GraphQL environments. Okay. So we have like users in one environment, and then we have our content in another environment. 
Wow, so you can do a video view as a join between a... U- Bingo. Stop, really? Bingo. I didn't Bingo. think about that. Yeah. So oh my gosh, that's that, so cool. That was like a, when I set up the stitching, I was like, oh yeah. By the way, the reason... I, I should wow. back up a little. One of the reasons I did the stitching... That's so cool. Yeah, very cool. Uh, one of the reasons I did the stitching was I originally had two different GraphQL APIs, our Hursur instance, and then I was querying HighGraph to get the content. And I couldn't GraphQL code gen because it had a hard time merging the two uh, schemas together just because mm-hmm. they they have mm-hmm. both of those APIs. They're big. If they you're doing, so if you're doing it at build time on your computer from like the code base, you're saying? GraphQL code gen basically says like, okay, tell me about your GraphQL queries. Tell me about all your schemas. Yeah. And I'll try to generate types. But yeah. these two, these schemas were massive and there were conflicts yeah, yeah, and yeah. it was, wasn't yeah. sure which query is from which schema. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then gotcha. so I found this thing where it was like, oh, you should stitch your schemas together. And there's an NPM package called GraphQL tools, which has like just a bazillion different functions that make working with GraphQL easy. And so there's functions in there about how to stitch schemas and how to namespace things. And so I started doing that and I got like 30 seconds into it. And I was like, okay, I'm installing way too many NPM packages. And then Mm. also too, I was like, doesn't Hasura have stitching? Mm -hmm. And then I just Mm -hmm. dropped, dropped it into Hasura and it, it just worked. Wow. Yeah. That is awesome. Yep. Uh, I also namespaced all the CMS stuff under uh, a namespace in our API, in our, our GraphQL, like, you know, query tree called CMS. So it's like clear that you're pulling from the CMS. Okay. That's kind of nice because then you just, you just kind of know yeah. you're pulling. So also it lets us have like things like, um, you can imagine us stitching multiple GraphQL APIs together that all have their own concept of a video. Right. So there's like, right. if we just imagine that YouTube had, sure. a, had a GraphQL API, they would have a thing called video. Uh, and um, our Hursur thing has a uh, thing we called We could video. query like YouTube.videos if we want to. Yeah, so like exactly. The latest, so the, whatever. Yeah. The namespace oh, lets you do like YouTube, brace, videos, you know. Okay. I was going to say, so like if we had a join record that we were to add uh, for a video view that joins a user and a video, what would the foreign key on video be? Like CMS in brackets, dot video, dot ID or whatever, underscore ID? Or, I guess it would be CMS underscore video underscore ID. Yeah, we would be yeah, the I field. Think we would, yeah, I think we can name it whatever we want. So I think, okay. we, I think we could name it whatever we but want. But then how would you query it across? You query it with a brace yeah, in, in the GraphQL query? Yeah. I haven't okay. done this, so I don't, I don't want to just say you do it like this, but yeah, I know but it's, that, it's just, know it's, it's just, terrible. there's a namespace there to make it clear. I kind of like that. I mean, it's, it's singleton data, so it helps you understand. I mean, it's cool that you can, you could do it where you literally wouldn't know if it's in your Postgres <laughs> database or somewhere else. Um, one of the reasons I had to namespace this is everything has a user and they can, right. They can flex. like even our CMS right. GraphQL thing has a user because uh, it turns out our CMS data has like a published by, and a published by is a relationship oh. to a user that's either me oh, or you. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, yeah. So, oh, that's actually pretty nice. I was just thinking that sounds really annoying, but uh, it's really like more of an author. And and again, that would be something we would want to be invariant across environments as well. Exactly. It's part of the singleton data, the the content library. Exactly. We wouldn't want to say what is what is a one user that combines like a user in our system, right. a user in our CMS, like would just get super messy. Yeah. So that's actually kind of nice if you think about it, because I think traditionally, like we've worked on lots of applications, long lived application companies with like God objects. They used, that was a popular term, yeah. like, like Ruby days. And it's always user, right? 
user yeah. is always like the god object and like if you're fetching badges for attendees like you're doing it by querying users and if you're showing like whose account is signed in and changing password you're showing it by users like it's kind of nice to be able to have separate things and then you could join them by foreign keys or email addresses or something like that yeah yeah i like the idea of like showing an author's page where you're not just like querying users and teams and you know all that stuff yep yeah that's true it's, just, it's just cms data it's cms data yep that that's a really good point if i was in a rails app and i had to build something it, and it's it, like it has a, a name and an email address it's like yeah that's a it's user. all user yeah yeah Oh yeah, we need it. We need like their flair for their author's page, and we you know, all of a sudden the user's row is you know a yeah. hundred columns long, and uh, it has like it's just there's no way to compose. You're only it ever and build using up. you're only ever using ten of those columns, but exactly. which ten you're using depends on exactly. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Dude, the other thought I had that's what's really cool about this is um, at TED we had a layer of querying in order to achieve effectively the same thing. So if you're listening to this and you're thinking, man, like these guys, it's like two people making a website and they have like all these services, um, like people do need to integrate data from services. And the fact that, uh, yes, getting a service set up with a front end at the beginning is maybe harder than typing in Rails new, but I like the smoother ramp to adding data from something like a CMS or a Firebase or like another provider because um we've seen you know people go down the road where they have to make up their own own piece of the pie for this and uh rails is 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 not a, designed to do that out of the box the way like a tool like hasura with schema stitching is so there's we, we was we we had this like uh, abstraction around active record where you could do like a user.find one and it would go through the network you know, but imagine like you have a Rails app that's running against a local database and you also need to fetch data from like an API. Like you can do it, of course. And like you can present a unified interface to the front end or you can just render HTML from both data sources and just kind of await both data sources. But um, yeah, it's going to be different. I, I just the, this is like this is like, I guess, what GraphQL was designed to solve. So it's, it's nice to see it. If we're going down the yeah. road of using services, it's nice to have GraphQL present you like this unified interface to the front end it makes working on the front end stuff like really really nice dude totally. it's extremely pleasant totally it's we've, extremely pleasant to like write graphql queries from the front end you yeah know? yep so we've had we've like you said we run into this all the time you need to pull data from external services and rails yeah rails basically says like okay you're not pulling data from your database like you're good, being good, good you're luck. wrong good luck <laughs> right right exactly and this is why like we've never had a rails app that had a concept of a singleton cms which caused problems yep. but yep. like if it's as easy as this then it's like oh let's try high graph boom done now the front end is able to query cms.video and it's like not a big deal at all yeah yeah and there's like no new code like in our code base that we really have to worry about it's just it's like you said there, of course the code the complexity moved to like the postgres layer and the, and the configuration with hasura but um once it's done it's like that's it so yeah it's it's interesting it's more acknowledging just yeah that we are exactly. going to be concatting data from multiple services here right. it is not a single database app i mean it's really it's just right. you know it's hard to beat active record but in a world where you can't do that like thank yeah you it's hard to be active this. record unless you live in a world with stripe and and like you know with stripe and like th then you're, you're well then you have to yeah that's a, right right yeah exactly, exactly. It, yes 
Yeah, with, with good services. <laughs> it's hard to beat Active Record when you live in your your ivory tower. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, that's really cool. Yeah, the the last bit I'll say is just one thing: is once I generated all these types, uh, I was doing things like, oh, I have a um, like a CMS course and a CMS lesson, and I can import mm-hmm. those types because they're they're in they get code gen. I can import those types and I can use them to type components. Um, yeah. so, so I had like, we have like on our, yeah. our build UI homepage, there's like video grid and there's video cards and each of those video cards is like a video card component. And so I typed that to take a, um, the CMS lesson. That's what we call it. Just CMS video. And, uh, I kind of <laughs> ran into some trouble here because the type of the lesson, the type of the video is a, like a big type it's got a title description blah 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 but if you don't query all those fields um let me back this up in order to use that type on a react component you have to make sure that you query all the fields in the type otherwise your react component says hey you didn't pass in a cms video here you passed in right. like you're missing you know 10 props 10 10 uh, data attributes uh so i, I I was a little confused by this. I think we had we had a conversation yesterday, which was good, where mm-hmm. you want the type of those components to be derived from the CMS query that you make inside. Yeah. Um, in our case, it's like inside the Next.js app. And that was really helpful. Yeah. So um, the type, like doing a bad job explaining this, but the type. Let me try this, to say this back to you because your okay. head's been in it. You've been working on this, but it, I, it was fun to hear it fresh yesterday in our conversation. Basically, you have a CMS has a video. A video has a title and a summary and like a video URL. And um, that's like the source of truth, which is coming from the fields in the database. So database is like when you think of the boundaries of your application, the database is the lowest level. You always want to use database constraints when you can because you never want to be able to create a video without a title and publish it. Right. So you have these constraints that exist. The shape of your data is defined by the database schema exists at the farthest layer of your application when thinking through like a request and a response. And those you can drive types from those. And that's like what you're talking about. Basically, this service lets you define those fields in your database with things like whether they're null or optional or what the default is, or it's a date or it's an integer or a string. And that gives you a set of types that you can use in TypeScript, right? And that, uh, again, is derived from your database. But think about querying the homepage of um, something like buildui.com or youtube.com or anything that has like an overview of a bunch of videos. You're going to need the title and uh, the thumbnail, right? And then if you click on one of those videos, you go to the video page, you're going to have a new query because the set of data is different, not just for the fact that you're getting all the information for one video instead of all of them, but you're also getting different fields. You're getting the description, you're getting the URL for the video. You might be getting a summary. In our case, we have a big MDX summary that shows all this code and that's not present on the first uh, page. So the constraints you apply to your database have to apply to all videos everywhere. That's like... The root core, most core business logic uh, ever. Like it has to apply everywhere. There might not be a description on the homepage, but there's a description on the detail page. So that means there's a description in the database. But when you query, uh, you're not querying the description on the homepage. You are querying it on the detail page, on the actual video page. 
So that means that those are two different rep representations of a video that live in your database. One of them has a description and one of them doesn't. And so from a perspective of types, which are in TypeScript, which are in your application, which sits somewhere in the middle of this whole like request response flow, those are going to be two different types. And neither of them actually are what is in the database. And they, they, they shouldn't be what's in the database because that's not what defines them. What defines the appropriateness of the shape of the data is what you're querying because that is actually what's getting passed in. And so when you're thinking about building a page or a feature in an app, basically a page is fetching data. Let's just assume for sake of default, for sake of simplicity that you're building a page that's tied to a URL. The URL is what determines what gets queried from the back end. You're making the query. That is the boundary of that page. That's the boundary. It's not the database anymore. The database is here. It's going through all these things. But the, the query is the boundary of the page. That's when data first gets into your system. And that's where you want types to be defined and exist. Because that's where the type safety, the types give you the most safety because they're flowing through your application. And um, that's going to be the best situation. And it's also going to be like the correct, it's, it's the correct representation of what's happening. Exactly. You're getting a video with a title and a, and an image. And uh, so that is the shape of your data. So that's where you want to type it. Right. And this is where like tools like Zod come in because you could get something different from the network. You don't control the network from the front end apps perspective. And uh, it could just give you something different. You know, when you're back in engineers could make an update that gives you a different shape of data. Zod lets you like, uh, validate that the runtime response conforms to the type in your static query that's in code and at which point you can assume from a type perspective that the data in the beginning of the page is what you queried and so that's why all the data in the page should be derived from what you query and uh my battery just ran out oh. <laughs> this is becoming a recurring theme it's all right okay so in, in some sense like the the type that exists at the boundary of your page doesn't even have anything to do with the type uh, that exists in your database. I mean, it's like a subset of it, I guess you would say. Yep. Um, but uh, on the homepage, right, your query, your query uh, might say only get me videos that are published, but published at in your database, database might be nullable. So from the perspective of all the React code you write on the homepage, you want the video not to be published is not null. And yep. you want to know that everywhere at all your components. So they're, they're, they're two different things completely. Totally. And uh, where, where I view was, models, right. But where, view models. where I was getting caught up is I almost wish the, the quote unquote database generated types. They're the complete view of the database. Like didn't exist. Like I right. shouldn't, I don't want to be able to import. No, those you don't. Can, those, are, those have to be in the, in the project. I think you only want those to define what's queryable by GraphQL. I, I don't know if they, that's the reason they're there, but the fact is that I can import them and use them as I types. I, and I don't do want, not want like, those. Yep. Yeah, they should. It would I, be a mistake. Because you get <laughs> people like me that use those types. And, <laughs> but it's true. Like this thing doesn't take a database representation. It takes a query right. representation that right. shouldn't be typed. Right. Also, too, on previous projects, I, I kind of realized that, that on previous projects, we would write a single like shareable hook called get video and that shareable hook would get the entire yeah yes. the entire database set of the video yes. and then the reason for that was so you, that you could then safely use the database generated type and so like it was also because we had client-side cache and we wanted to be able to click around and have like a fully loaded 
Yeah, 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 yes. But like, let's imagine that wasn't even the case. Yeah. Like, there were, yeah, like, yeah. you, our data fetching code was basically uh, auto generated to fetch the entire object out of GraphQL such yeah. that it matched that that type, which which yeah. just made me realize like that seemed good it's at the time, the right way to think but it's, about it. it's wrong. Yeah. Like it is wrong. It is wrong. It actually makes me think of. I need to play around with TRPC. I'm sad to cut this conversation, but I, I was thinking about when you start talking this, because I, I have to run soon, but I was thinking when you start talking this, I, I think we're going to have more to talk about here than the last segment of the podcast. But um, I need to play with TRPC, but I'm curious about this as well there too, because I actually don't want to know that publish at is optional when I'm querying. I mean, I do when I want to write my query. So maybe if that's all it is, maybe that's fine. And then you, you're able or maybe Prisma or something. I don't know. I don't know. I, I need more experience with both those tools to be able okay. to speak about this. But my point is the database schema slash GraphQL API is what is defining what is allowed to be queried. But what you actually query and what goes, I think this is what like goes through Zod or whatever, should define like the type of everything else beyond the query, right? Once it's validated at mm -hmm. runtime, like from, from the network. When it's coming over the network, it's like a different, it's a different layer. And, um, well, I will, you know, what I, I might like contradict everything I just said here, but I, I've been using Prisma a lot lately mm -hmm. and I tend to use it. Like I I've used ORMs before where I mm -hmm. don't select specific fields. Like I find myself only selecting specific fields when I'm using, uh, graph in, in in Prisma, if I'm loading a blog post, I just do. You just do user dot Prisma dot blog but you could do dot all. Yeah, yes, you, Prisma. But does. you could do like where publish at right is where publish at is yes. not is is not null, and then the result will have a type. I don't um, know. That's a really good question. I don't know. So if you do where publish at is not null, I don't. Or if you do like, I mean, seriously, you do where where some in is like greater than ten. Does right. it know that? Therefore, every Does it type you your get back is if you try to do, put like five in there when you're using the result, it right? Would like, give an error. I don't know. That's pretty interesting. Anyway, I, I, yeah, we should, we, we should. Um, I've been meaning to do like a personal project with like Prisma and, and just types without like uh, server side data fetching and Prisma only. I guess that's what. That's what my Remix app does. I should take a look at that. I think it might be JavaScript, not TypeScript. No, no, Prisma's, um, Prisma's, it gives you the types. It's awesome. No, no I'm saying my, my, my oh, Remix app. Okay, okay. I've been doing um, Next 13 and Prisma, and it's, it's such a good combo. It's pretty it's awesome. It's such a good combo. It's, it's really good on the read side. There's like no mutation story, so the, the gets right. a little, it gets a little hard there. But uh, right. yeah, it's really good, really good combo. That's cool, man. Uh, yeah, I, I think we're, we should pick this up next week and talk more about this, especially because we'll have another week of work done on this. And I think you're pretty confident we're going to have something um, like you're going to have some checkpoint in your work where yeah. we're going to basically be able to get rid of the CMS stuff, like the video stuff being in our environment specific databases and being in like JSON files and yep. stuff like that. Yep. Yep. So uh just That's to wrap awesome. just to wrap this uh one really cool thing was i was able to write this all without leaving my editor and to think that i'm using a graphql api that was built by you know high graph that's built by someone else and not only that but uh when we set this up i think you had added a lot of the fields so i didn't even know like 
Ah. There's like code sandbox URLs. I didn't know what you're saying. You what refactored the home page yeah. uh, to query the right data from the new CMS without having to like open the high graph docs or <laughs> even the high graph app. Yeah, that yeah. is awesome. Um, that's pretty, that's pop, that's part of the appeal of GraphQL as a tooling. You know. Yeah, I think this is more like the Each GraphQL code gen. But yes, the fact that you can okay. take the GraphQL and generate. Yeah, no, you're right. It is part of GraphQL. Just the, the overall GraphQL tooling and ecosystem yep. is one of the most compelling parts of it. You know. Yep. But that um, that that was just really cool. That dawned on me that like you had set up a lot of this data, and here I am querying it, and I'm not like, yeah, I'm not reading docs. I'm not in their SaaS app. I'm not. Oh, what did is, he call this field? I just got autocomplete yeah. code sandbox URL, and I just know that. That's, okay, yeah, that's obviously the code that's sandbox very link. very cool. That's very cool. Yeah, that's that is awesome. Man, the, I relationships across the different uh, sources. Is, <laughs> that's pretty incredible i'm sure there'll be some some curveballs when we get there but yeah. yeah i think it'll be cool yeah well if we stick to static you know then even if we n plus one it won't matter because it's only our servers pay the price <laughs> it, 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 is, it is funny that dude okay i know you gotta go soon but like yeah you know how graphql doesn't have like bi-directional relationships like if you need yeah you have like a user makes comments into a post that's posted by a user like you can't just fetch everything flat like you actually make the graph of all that data yeah. there yeah and so yeah i've been making some pretty deep graphs and i'm like yeah it's build time i don't it's fine i don't care it's fine it just matches your html tree it's yeah. easier man sam and ryan from like three years ago be like what you simpleton you need an no, identity map no no, no. you definitely <laughs> yeah i i'll show you this but i'm fetching a lesson it's i'm fetching a course it's lessons and then I want the lessons order in that course. So I refetch the course and all the lessons again. So because it just keeps uh, the so I definitely yeah. felt the need for for identity map. But um, yeah, uh, yeah. Like I said, it's Overall, all build time. Doesn't matter. Yeah. Right. Cool. All right. Good stuff. Hey, uh, we should have some new content to talk about next week. Maybe next week. Well, we had made a video basically about what we talked about last week um, with the server rendering, client rendering mismatch. So. Um, yeah, I think we'll be talking about our new course that we're going to, uh, our Framer Motion course on Build UI is, is done. And we sent an email about that out this week. And uh, so that means we get to start working on our next course. Maybe we'll be talking about that uh, next week. Well, yeah. Cool. I'm excited. Awesome. All right, everyone. Thanks for listening. And uh, we'll catch you next week. See ya. Bye. Happy 2023.